Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our ministry when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 9, 14 through 17, called Religion and the Kingdom. We're moving verse by verse through the Gospel of Matthew. If you just joined us, uh, we're in the ninth chapter and we're taking a small section as we look at religion in quotes and the kingdom of God. Religion and the kingdom, Matthew 9, 14 through 17. If you're able, would you stand for the reading of these verses? Then the disciples of John, that is John the Baptist, came to him, Jesus, saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast but your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, 15, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, then they will fast. No one puts a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment and a worse tear results. Nor do men put new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wineskins burst and the wine pours out and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into fresh wineskins and both are preserved. Heavenly Father, as we think about these words from Jesus, we know that Jesus is God in human flesh. And every time he addresses an issue, it is the heart of our God, Yahweh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit expressing to us truth that we need so desperately because man is very religious in quotes and we can do a lot of things that seem to be religious but in the end the question is are they from your heart are they what you want we ask we have to ask questions about what we do and why we do it and for whom do we do it these are the kinds of questions we'll wrestle with today as we look at religion in the kingdom religion in quotes we we ask for blessing, Father. We ask for discernment, application. We want to honor you both in the way we teach the word and the way we respond to the word. So give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us in our generation. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, Brenda and I have raised three boys and they're all in their 20s now. And our youngest got involved in musical theater. I have to say that I wasn't a huge musical theater person. Uh, I was coaching baseball. Uh, the other two boys played baseball really all the way through high school. But our youngest uh, played a couple years of baseball and he started gravitating towards musical theater. And I got uh, invited into that world. And of course, I was always cheering for him. But uh, one of the plays that we saw somewhere along the line was Fiddler on the Roof. And there you have the famous scene of Tevia. And uh, he says these famous words, he says, because of our traditions, we have kept our balance. And he's talking about the fiddler on the roof balanced. For many, many years, here in Anatevka, we have traditions for everything. How to eat, how to sleep, even how to wear clothes. For instance, we always keep, on our, he we always keep our heads covered and always wear a little prayer shawl. This shows our constant devotion to God. You may ask, how did this tradition start? I'll tell you, I don't know, but it's a tradition. 
because of our traditions, everyone knows who he is and what God expects him to do. And then, of course, he says, tradition, tradition. And he starts doing that, <laughs> which is about all I got, the waving of my arm. Thank you. I do parties for a small fee. No. And that sentiment was set in a Jewish community in the play, and it communicates something that's very true, and it's true across many spectrums, that there is tradition, and, and if you talk to someone in our culture today, and they talk about an uncle that goes to church a lot outside of Easter and Christmas, they'll say, my uncle's very religious. What do they mean by that? They mean probably that he keeps a set of rules that maybe they don't keep, and he attends church a little bit more often than major holidays. <laughs> He's really religious. And that's the, world, the world's word for it. And this expresses itself all around the world. You know, atheism is not still even today a real major movement in the world. There's religions all over the world. We call them world religions. Sometimes they're known as uh, cults. We have people who have belief systems in the occult. And we, we could even argue that atheism in and of itself is a religion. And so how do we as contemporary Christians who believe our Bibles navigate a world that can often express itself in religion? For example, I heard a pastor over the weekend and he was talking about Jehovah's Witnesses and there's many wonderful people in Jehovah's Witnesses. Many of them grew up in it. That's all they know. And he was saying that they have 161 rules for Jehovah's Witnesses. Here's a sampling. They cannot salute the flag. They cannot sing the national anthem. They do not celebrate birthdays. They do not celebrate Christmas. They cannot take a blood transfusion, which has cost many Jehovah's Witnesses their lives. And all because a governing body of men started by Charles Taze Russell in the late 1800s and then a governing body out of New York determines truth for this group of people. If you are interested, search rules for Jehovah's Witnesses and you will see rule after rule after rule come up. And it's sad because what happens is the people end up in this box. In fact, if you want to be a dedicated Jehovah's Witness, you are supposed to give up to 70 hours a month in door-to-door -door witnessing just to make sure that you're okay with Jehovah. In fact, your baptism is only valid, I believe this is the formula, if you're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and God's holy organization, i.e. the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. So that's just one example. Now, I grew up in an Italian Roman Catholic family, and we had a lot of tradition in the Catholic Church, and there's, I want to say up front, a lot of wonderful believers in the Roman Catholic Church. But I believe I can speak to this having grown up in it. One example is we didn't eat meat on Fridays. If you ask the average Catholic when I was growing up why we didn't eat meat on Fridays, we only ate fish, the average Catholic couldn't tell you why. I'll tell you why. It was supposed to lead up to the weekend and be an expression of your penance going into Sunday worship. But most Catholics didn't know why they were doing that, but it was a tradition. And there's nothing in the Bible that says eat fish instead of meat on Fridays. 
But if you bit into a sandwich other than a fish sandwich on a Friday, you might feel condemned. Oh, no, I just ate bologna. And you should not eat bologna for many other reasons, but we won't get into that. But why would you feel condemned if, if you did? And, and why all the man-made tradition? Uh, f- there's a lot of recovering Roman Catholics. But there's people recovering from all kinds of man-made religion. And even after walking with the, the Lord 30-plus years, for me personally, I can tell you that sometimes even those man-made traditions kind of can come back into my mind. And maybe even make me think I'm right with God today because I did this and didn't do that or I'm not right with God today for those things. And the running joke among former Catholics is that what church did you attend when you were growing up? Our Lady of Perpetual Guilt. (laughs) But it's not just the Roman Catholic Church, it's the Evangelical Church as well. Because the Evangelical Church, that is the Christian Church or the Protestant Church, has its traditions as well. And for a long period of time, there was a certain way that you had to dress when you came into a church. And it was typically a suit and a dress appropriate, you know, to men and women, etc. And if you saw the Jesus Revolution, you know that about late 60s, 70s, there was a major move of God at Calvary Chapel. And what happened was the hippies of that time started coming to Christ in droves. And they were coming to Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. Pastor Chuck Smith had been ministering in Corona and then he ended up out in Costa Mesa and some of those hippies started coming and it caused a little division in his leadership. In fact, one elder who's depicted in the movie, and this was a real story, saw what was happening. The hippies were coming in with dirty feet because they didn't wear shoes and they had blue jeans on and they had all of their hippie regalia on. And people who were coming during that time would tell you, one man that I listened to recently said he was so poor, he only owned one pair of jeans. And he said he had to put patches on that one pair of jeans just to be presentable because he was so poor. He said, literally, that's all I had. And some of you have a pair of jeans like that that you need to repent of because (laughs) you, you you haven't washed them since the late 1990s. And they stand up on their own. That's a sign. You should wash those jeans. But anyway, I digress. And so one Sunday, as the hippies were coming in, this elder put up a sign. You must have shoes on, and you cannot wear blue jeans if you're going to come in here and worship. And Chuck saw the sign, and Chuck was angry. He said, who put the sign up? And he confronted the guy. And the guy said, well, I put it up. And he said, why? He said, well, because I don't want them, they're dirtying the carpet with their feet and they're not dressed properly to come into worship. Now, as the movie goes, some of those leaders left the church and the hippies stayed. And those leaders who were so baptized in their traditions, if you will, missed a major movement of God. In fact, many of you have been praying for another Jesus revolution in our time, amen? Because that was 50 plus years ago now. We'd love to see that again, but let me ask us a question. Would we be flexible enough if the expression of the people searching looked a little different in our day and some social barriers were crossed and we had to bend and flex? I'm not talking about an essential doctrine here. 
because we die on those hills. I'm talking about things that maybe we have elevated to the point of tradition that are not God's heart at all. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Pastor Michael invites you to watch our recent A Step Closer series with guest speaker Red Pen Logic's Tim Barnett. Believe it or not, if you have doubts and questions about your Christian faith, you're not alone. The recent deconstruction movement phenomenon has a number of Christians rethinking what parts of the Bible they identify with. But is the movement simply about having doubts? If deconstruction is just about asking questions, I'm just asking questions, I'm, I'm going through some doubts, then declaring war on it would be wrong and actually unbiblical. But if deconstruction is about leading people away from historic Christianity, then declaring war on it is completely appropriate and biblical. Pastor Michael invites you to watch our recent A Step Closer series with guest speaker Red Pen Logic's Tim Barnett. Download the free Walk in Truth app available in your app store today. You can also listen to the first part of this conversation when you listen to Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. Some of those leaders left the church and the hippies stayed. And those leaders who were so baptized in their traditions, if you will, missed a major movement of God. In fact, many of you have been praying for another Jesus revolution in our time. Amen? Because that was 50 plus years ago now. We'd love to see that again. But let me ask us a question. Would we be flexible enough if the expression of the people searching looked a little different in our day and some social barriers were crossed and we had to bend and flex. I'm not talking about an essential doctrine here because we die on those hills. I'm talking about things that maybe we have elevated to the point of tradition that are not God's heart at all. So this is what we're dealing with as we deal with some of these issues. Whose rules? Who do we worship? Where does it come from and why? One writer says, Jesus' ministry, his teachings, miracles, and outreach to outcasts was not only an expression of God's heart of compassion, but a critique of pharisaical religion. Jesus will use illustrations like old clothing and uh, old and new wineskins and new wine to represent Judaism, both teachings in the Torah that are fulfilled in Christ that is, the temple, the sacrificial system. Uh, the book of Hebrews chapter 8 says that the new covenant has supplanted the old so that the old is obsolete. Let me be careful how I say this. I don't think that Jesus is saying you can't celebrate the Passover and the full meaning of that. I don't think he's saying that. He's saying this. If you go back to the shadows that have been fulfilled by the Messiah, the book of Hebrews is all about a group, early group of Jewish Christians being tempted to go back to the sacrificial system in the temple. Five major warning, scary warning passages in the book of Hebrews basically say to that group of believers, if you go back there to the blood of bulls and goats, Hebrews 10, 4, that can never take away your sin, there will be no sacrifice for your sin. There's no efficacy in that. There's nothing that the blood of a bull or a goat can do for you or a lamb or anything else 
Because the Messiah has come to fulfill that. Amen? That's what Jesus came to critique. He came to critique the system that has been now fulfilled by the new covenant. Hence, the new and old wineskins, the new clothing and the old clothing, etc. But it starts off here with a question, the third in the chapter so far. Then, 14, Matthew 9, the disciples of John, that's John the Baptist, came to Jesus saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples, and implied as you and your disciples since you lead them, do not fast? Now we see three religious groups in the verses leading up to this. Look at your Bible with me. In verse three, we see the scribes. Jesus told a paralytic, your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes, religious group number one, said to themselves, this fellow blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, how inconvenient for them, said, why are you thinking evil in your hearts? And then, of course, he heals the paralytic. We've already studied that together. The second group, we have the scribes in verse three. We have the Pharisees in verse 11. Jesus has called Matthew from the tax collector's booth, Matthew 9, 9. He would be a hated man in his generation. He was probably collecting from fishermen. And Jesus called him. And Matthew was so excited about following the Lord, he threw a dinner party, remember? At his home, it was an IRS dinner party. Remember that from last week? Something you really want to go to. So Jesus is there reclining in this home. Everybody's having a good time, eating and drinking. And outside, peering into the windows, are the Pharisees. And look what they say. They say, when the Pharisees saw this 11, they said to his disciples, probably finding the nearest one to bend their ear, why is your teacher eating with tax gatherers and sinners? Now, second group Second question, Jesus will go on to say, verse 12, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick, and that God is a God of compassion. That's verse 13. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Praise God that he reached down into my mess and called me out of that. And then the third group is identified as the disciples of John. That's verse 14. That's John the Baptist. These are early Baptists. It's kind of a joke. But, and do you know how you could identify them? They had camel's hair suits on, and they're holding boxes of honey nut, locust, and wild honey cereal. <laughs> but they couldn't eat it because they were fasting. Now, what we learn from uh, an a extra biblical source and Luke 18, verse 12, if you're taking notes is that the Pharisees fasted twice a week on Mondays and Thursdays. And there's nothing in the Bible that mandated that fast. In fact, there's only one holy day, one feast in the seven feasts of Israel in the Old Testament that required a fast. It was a one-day fast, and it was on Yom Kippur, or what we know as the Day of Atonement. Outside of that, there is absolutely no required fast in the entire Bible. Yet, the Pharisees fasted on Mondays and Thursdays. Some scholars say they fasted only during daylight hours. Perhaps it was a 24-hour fast on Mondays and Thursdays. The setting of the question is Matthew's house, the party going on. From what we can tell, the party's still the setting. People eating and drinking, Jesus and his disciples, and people are probably fasting at the moment. The Pharisees 
and the disciples of John, and they look in, and they're like, Ugh. do you know when you're being spiritual and other people aren't? And you're like, how could you? Eating and drinking. Look at, look at him. Look at what he's eating over there. Don't even take another bite. <laughs> now, why? Why would there be a guilt complex? Why would they have an issue? Because they had a man-made tradition of fasting twice a week. And their tummy, tummies were a little rumbly. And they were, have you heard this word before? Hangry. Have you heard that? Hangry. Combination of hungry and angry. Right? And they were peering in with the judgmental eye. How dare them? This is a fast day and they're feasting. Warren Wiersbe said, the Christian life should not be a funeral. It should be a feast. Amen? Amen. Now there's going to be times, of course, when we mourn and stuff like that. But look, we're in the kingdom. We're forgiven people. So we need to have the joy of the Lord. And Jesus had the oil of joy more than his companions, Hebrews 1, verse 9. So the question from disciples of John the Baptist, why? Now, the Pharisees and the disciples of John were no friends. They weren't chummy. In fact, when the Pharisees came where John was baptizing, John called them a brood of vipers. <laughs> That's not politically correct language, by the way. Basically, you generation of slimy snakes, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So if the Pharisees and disciples of John are getting together on something, you know that this is probably something important to them. And the issue is all about fasting. Religious groups have a lot of rules. And a lot of rules have emerged in church history. In fact, some people thought, in order to take my faith seriously, I gotta live in a monastery, wear a robe, and uh, kind of just be like a monk. Some uh, took a vow of celibacy, even though they didn't have the gift of singleness and celibacy, and so suffered their whole lives, thinking that they were pleasing to God by not being married, and that was a man-made rule. There's nothing in the Bible that argues for that. It argues it as an option if you have the spiritual gift. And so people did that because they would think, ah, oh, I'm taking my faith seriously now. There's a story of a monk who did this, and he took a vow of silence. He could only speak a couple words once a year. Can you imagine that? So the year came, first year went by, and they said, what do you have to say? And he said, bed hard. Okay, they wrote that down. Another year goes by, now he can speak again, and he says, food cold. Well, by the time the third year came, he was disgusted, and he was done. And they said, what do you want to share? And he goes, I'm done. I'm over. You know, I can't do this anymore. And they go, no wonder. You've been complaining ever since you got here. <laughs> but I have to say, give some credit to the disciples of John for coming to Jesus like men instead of murmuring somewhere off to the side or backbiting in someone's ear. They came to him and maybe they were hurt. Maybe they were a little confused, like, okay, why is it that you, you are always with these people and you always seem to be eating and drinking and we're over here suffering because we're serious about our faith in God? And the question is, is that what makes you serious? Here's a further question. Why are there still disciples of John the Baptist? 
Do you know that John the Baptist was thrown in prison and later a message will come from John via his disciples and he will say to Jesus, are you the one or should we look for another? And I wonder if John languishing in prison may have concluded that perhaps Jesus wasn't the Messiah because of stuff like this. Because John lived a very ascetic life. Only ate locusts and wild honey, wore a camel's hair garment, called his generation to repentance. But then we know John pointed people to Jesus. You've been listening to Religion and the Kingdom, Part 1 on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 through 17. If you missed any part of today's program, Walk in Truth is on Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and more podcast apps. Listen for free to Pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. Now, we have pastors on staff that would love to speak with you if you need prayer or counsel, or perhaps you have questions about Jesus and the Christian faith. Call Walk in Truth Tuesdays through Fridays during daytime hours at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. 844-48-TRUTH. We appreciate our Walk in Truth financial partners. You contribute to our ministry, broadcast, and podcast. As a thank you for your support, we've created the Walk in Truth app. If you'd like to become a Walk in Truth partner, any amount is appreciated. You can now give on the Walk in Truth app or visit walkintruth.com. And join us tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 9, 14 through 17, called Religion and the Kingdom. I'm Mike Massaro. On behalf of Pastor Michael Lance and Living Truth Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people.